Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, would you open there? 2 Kings chapter 15, as we turn our attention back to the southern kingdom of Judah, as we meet a man by the name of Azariah, or some of you might know him better as Uzziah. So pick up in verse 1 of chapter 15, 2 Kings. It was in the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, that Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem. Verse 3, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done, except that the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Then the Lord struck the king so that he was a leper until the day of his death. So he dwelt in an isolated house. And Jotham, the king's son, was over the royal house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Azariah and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Azariah rested with his fathers, and they buried him. They buried him with his fathers in the city of David, and then Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. Mentioned here is Azariah. We, all, we know him better as Uzziah. And you'll recall in Isaiah chapter 6, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that Isaiah received that vision. It was being in the presence of the Lord and he had the angels crying out, holy, holy, holy. And that word that went out, who shall we, who shall we send? And, and Isaiah cried, he send me. And that's this king. He was well loved. Overall, he was a good king. Uh, he's known for many great things. But when we get to the Chronicles, Again, as we continue our study, we get to Chronicles, we're going to find out how well he led, how well he fought, even as he inspired true love among God, but, and then, you know, for here in 2 Kings 15, 4, it's the word accept, and so, but, what he did is he went into the temple and tried to offer incense, and that's what's missing here in 2 Kings, that's what caused the leprosy. The judgment of God came upon him because he attempted to go in and do what only the priest was ordained to do. He wanted to offer incense, and he was warned not to do it, and he did it anyway, and he was given leprosy right then and there. Now, it reminds us, and it's important for us to really realize in our lives that we're to do what God has called us to do. I know it sounds simple enough. But there's often a battle between doing what God has called us to do and doing what we want to do. There's a lot of jealousy and envy in the body of Christ over what other people are called to do and the fact that we haven't been called to do that. There are many people that look at someone else's calling, someone else's giftings, and become very jealous at what God has called someone else to do, not satisfied with what you've been called to do. I think it's one of the many frustrations of our Christian experience. It's created by our desires to be something that God didn't make us. 
And I believe one of the most frustrating things that a Christian attempts to do is to do or be what God hasn't called them to do or be. But rather to discover our spiritual gifts as God has given to us by His grace, the very presence of His Holy Spirit, not because of our performance and not because of our good works, but because how good God is, that not only does he give us life, not only does he give us spiritual life, not only are we born again, not only did he meet us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, not only did he demonstrate his love to us on the cross, and on and on that list can go, but he also gives us spiritual gifts that thereby we might be able to serve him and fit perfectly in the body, in the body of Christ, the family of God to be used not only in the church, but to be used in the world. We have a problem with comparison. And when we compare, we almost always find someone that we think is better off than we are and leads to discouragement and discontentment. I mean, think about it. Think about the things in our lives that we we compare cars, we compare clothes, we compare houses, we compare paychecks, we compare families churches, ministries, so much so that it just creates frustration and disobedience. You see, you have been uniquely created and fitted for the body of Christ as God desires. And it's always frustrating to try to be something or someone that God didn't make us. I've certainly been there myself and experienced great frustration as I found myself either jealous or envious or wanting something else or wanting a position and wanting something other than just my satisfaction and abiding in Jesus Christ and just enjoying everything else's bonus by, by him and to him and for him. When you're serving God in the calling that he's given you, in the power that he supplies to you, there's great joy. Oh, you know, you may get tired in the work for sure, but not tired of the work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 14, it says that the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ moves us and motivates us. So here, as we're introduced as Azariah, we're not given much in, information here uh, of his ministry. We'll get there in 2 Chronicles, you know, in the 20s, like maybe 26. But we learn that he made the mistake of doing something that God had not called him to do and he paid with his life and he died in isolation. Isn't that what sin will do to a person? It will isolate you. And we've looked in previous studies of how leprosy is a type of the progression of sin in a person's life. But enough for us today to see that it's highlighted that in verse five, he was a leper till the day of his death and he dwelt in an isolated house. You know, when you harbor sinful behaviors in your life, When you live in an unrepentant state, when you try to cover your sinful actions with a thought of freedom and all things are lawful for me, you need to read the rest of the verse. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Not all things build up. Not all things are from the Lord. Not all things are beneficial. Not all things are beneficial for you or for the body of Christ. Sin will bring isolation in your life. You can be in a room of hundreds of people and sin will still bring isolation where you're not able to connect with God because the word of God is just conviction upon conviction. Come to me. It's, it's God saying, I beg of you. I reason with you. Let's look, look to the cross and find yourself in a place of repentance. And so I see 
through his bad mistake, he not only is living with leprosy and the effects of leprosy, but he dies in isolation. And that's simply not God's heart for you or for me. Verse 8 now. In the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reigned over Israel in Samaria six months. Now, again, when we're going through the kings, we have all these different... It's, it would be the equivalent of mentioning to you someone named John. There's a lot of Johns. And so when you see Zechariah here, this is not Zechariah the prophet. This is Zechariah the king. And so a lot of names are repeated just like names are repeated for us. And so this is a king, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, verse 9. As his fathers had done, he didn't depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. Then Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him, struck and killed him in front of the people, and he reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Zechariah, uh, indeed, are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. And this was the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Jehu, saying, Your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. And so it was. And so although there was only one kingly dynasty in Israel, there were eight dynasties, eight separate family dynasties in Judah. One was Jehu. And when he destroyed the altars of Baal, uh, he destroyed the altars in Baal worship, God promised that his family would reign for four generations. Zechariah ends up reigning, but he's assassinated. uh, And he comes, I love this in verse 12, um, he reminds us of what God said. And then at the end it says, so it was. And it's true for everything that God says, you know. Whatever God says, so it was. That's coming. You're like, well, but Ed, it hasn't come yet. It's coming. There's a day coming where you can write on the banner of your life that God gave a promise, God gave a word, God gave a scripture, and you can look forward to these same four words in your life, and so it was. But it's by faith, isn't it? It's trusting in the word of God, even against what we see, even against what we feel, and we just trust that God's word is true. We know in the past that it's come to pass. We know that even in the present we've had things come to pass. And so whatever we're waiting for in the future, whatever is in line with the heart and the character and the nature of God, you can look forward to those four words. And so it was. You might want to mark it, put a star next to it, and just say, I believe this by faith as a reminder of God's faithfulness. Verse 13. Shalom, the son of Jabez, became king in the 39th year of Uzziah, king of Judah, and he reigned a full month in Samaria. He made it a month. Verse 14. And Menahem, the son of Gadi, went up from Terzah, came to Samaria, struck Shalom, the son of Jabez, in Samaria, and killed him and reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Shalom... Uh, and the conspiracy which he led, indeed they are written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel. So there's anarchy and chaos now, these many generations of kings coming down the line. Kings are being murdered one after another, one's taking the throne, then there's another conspiracy. Verse 17, in the, or verse 16, then from Terzah, Menahem attacked Tipshah and all who were there in its territory because they did not open it to him, therefore he attacked it. And all the women there who were with child, he ripped open. And in the 39th year of Azariah, the king of Judah, Menahem, the son of Gadi, became king over Israel and reigned 10 years in Samaria. And, verse 18, it shouldn't surprise us, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not depart all his days from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. Verse 19, Pul, the king of Assyria, ah, mark that, Assyria, Assyria is a very important nation in the life of Israel, and we'll get to that. But notice, Pul, the king of Assyria, came against the land, and Menahem gave Pul a thousand talents of silver, 
that his hand might be with him to strengthen the kingdom in his hand. And Menahem exacted the money from Israel, from all the very wealthy, from each man 50 shekels of silver to give to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria turned back and did not stay there in the land. Now the rest of the acts of Menahem and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of kings of Israel? So Menahem rested with his fathers and then Pekahiah, his son, reigned in his place. So now in light of Zechariah's death, Menahem kills his assassin, Tipshah, and is now ruling in his place. And he ends up raising the taxes of the people to bribe the king of Assyria so that he wouldn't come and invade Israel. Now, besides back in, for the you note takers, besides the mention back in Genesis chapter 10, verse 11, this is the first mention of Assyria as a rising power against the nation of Israel and in some degrees the nation of Judah. For the Bible student, there's so much study in the word, even geopolitical decisions and maneuvers that is fascinating stuff. Now, I didn't read the article myself, but I w- it was mentioned to me today that recently in the news there was a pact signed between Iran, Syria, Turkey, and Russia. Very interesting stuff for you Bible students. Very interesting stuff of the things that we are involved in today that take us back to the time when Ezekiel was writing, for, looking forward to these nations that would rise up in an alliance against Israel. So I'm going to have to go back and look for that article. If you guys have it, send it to me so I can read it and post it because the Bible not only speaks of past actions that were prophesied, but also the fulfillment of prophecy that in your day and age, you are seeing things in these last days that literally no other generation has ever seen before. It is fascinating stuff that is intended not to make us prophecy buffs as much as it is to cause us to live and surrender to the God of prophecy. And so we study prophecy and we understand uh, the urgency of the coming of Jesus Christ, not simply to say that we know this and to tie all the pieces together, but rather to live lives of purity and honesty and fidelity, doing the business of the king until he comes so that we don't fall asleep like the, t- like the five foolish virgins that Jesus spoke about, that were not ready, that did not keep their lamps trimmed, and were not ready, and they, they were just ignorant of the urgency of the coming of the groom. And so fascinating stuff. I look forward to reading it. But geopolitical stuff is all throughout the Bible. And Assyria here is mentioned. There's so much study as things are rising up and we'll get to the significance of Assyria in a moment. Now, verse 23. In the 50th year of Azariah, the king of Judah, Pekahiah, the son of Menahem, became king over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned two years. And guess what? Verse 24. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. Let me just pause for a second and comment real quickly on the fact that you may come from a family line That as you look backwards, and you look backwards perhaps to your father or your mother, your grandfather and your grandmother, your great-grand, and you look back to the line, you may find that each successive generation, the same thing could be said for them. 
They did evil in the sight of the Lord. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. They didn't serve God. They were idolatrous, perhaps living in drunkenness or distant from God. And you kind of look back and you go, man, my family tree is, a, is pretty rotten in many ways. I love my family, but it was your generation, your generation. God entered into your family tree in your generation to not only make a difference for all the coming generations, but to speak backwards into all the generations that are still alive, that God is still at work. And even though now you're born and there's this false teaching today that, you know, you kind of have this family curse and that there's no way you can get out. Listen, Jesus Christ dying on the cross broke every curse by faith. There are no curse on your family. You could go back generation and generation, but now it's you that has changed. So that you can wake up in the morning and say, so-and-so is saved. And you look back and go, yeah, but all my generations, all that, man, it was just my family tree, man. I went on and they were looking at, at all those DNA tests. And man, the more and more I look and man, oh, my family's jacked, man. It was bad. And even until the age 23, I was bad. But listen, when a person is born again, the curse is broken. The curse of sin, not a curse on a family. It's the curse we all share apart from Jesus Christ. It's the curse of sin, the separation of a person from God because of their own sinful decisions, that you're not judged because of the sins of your fathers or your grandfathers. The judgment in our lives comes upon our own sin. And when you're born again, it is immediately broken, and you are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There is a battle between the spirit and the flesh because we live in these fleshly bodies. We live in a fallen world. We have a threefold enemy. We have the enemy of this world system. We have the enemy of our own flesh. And of course, the devil is the puppet master putting it all together. But listen, you have all that's necessary to live a righteous and godly and holy life already residing in you by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The new covenant provides so much more power, so much more love, so much more opportunity by faith. That's the key. Faith. Trusting in what God has said and accessing it. So we just keep hearing of all of these bad kings and he, did, he didn't repent of the sins. He didn't, and that's really the key, isn't it? In verse 9, he did evil on the side of the Lord as his fathers had done. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. That's the issue. That's the pain. He chose not to depart from the previous pattern of sins. And then, uh, then uh, what are we in? Verse 25. Then Pekah, the son of Remaliah, an officer of his, conspired against him and killed him in Samaria, in the citadel of the king's house, along with Argob and Arie. And with him, 50 men of Gilead. He killed him and reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Pekahiah and all that he did, indeed, they are, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. Verse 27. In the 52nd year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 20 years. And verse 28 shouldn't surprise us. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Why? Because he didn't depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. Listen, God does not have to repeat this over and over again. The space in the Bible is reserved. You know, because we're told in the New Testament that Jesus Christ did and said many other things, that there isn't enough books, 
There's not enough volumes to write all the things that Jesus did. So God, in his inspiration of the Bible, very specifically chose what he wanted to reserve in both the Old and the New Testament. And so when something is repeated over and over and over again, there is a purpose to that. And this phrase constantly, choosing not to depart from previous sins, is a very important one. Or even presently, choosing not to depart from sinful patterns, not to choose the way of righteousness, not to repent, not to humble. It's there on purpose, repetitively, over and over again. God doesn't waste his words. And so, in verse 29, in the days of Pekah, the, Pekah, the king of Israel, tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria, came and took Ijon, Abelbeth, Mahaka, Janoah, Kedesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee, and all the land of Naphtali, and he carried them captive to Assyria. And then Hosea, the son of Elah, led a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Remaliah, and struck and killed him. So he reigned in his place into the 20th year of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. Now the rest of the acts of Pekah and all that he did, indeed they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the King of Israel. This is significant because thus begins the invasions of Assyria that will now take the first of two significant invasions and exiles. While the Babylonians were like to invade and take captive, the Assyrians would take and deport thousands of Israelis and assimilate them into the Assyrian culture so that they would no longer have a national identity and no longer pose a serious threat. Now remember too that this Assyria, this Assyria was where Jonah was called to preach the gospel in the city of Nineveh. And remember his response? No way. The Assyrians are wicked, evil people. I'm not going. And he finds a ship, takes him in the opposite direction. God creates a fish for him, gets him back on track. And he goes and preaches the gospel and there was a revival. What about these Assyrians? What was so bad about them? Well, they, they were known to be so cruel in demoralizing the people, raping the wives and children. They would mutilate bodies, literally cut people's noses off, gouge out the eyes, and Jonah would have none of that. He hated them. Jonah wanted God to wipe them out. And as we study Jonah soon enough, it's one book that we haven't studied as a church yet, we know that the capital city of Nineveh repented and received. Why? Because God loves the most evil of people. If we could just train our eyes to see the souls of men and women, I believe it would open a channel more of love in our lives. But you know as well as I do, our eyes and our lives are trained not to see the soul of a person as much as to see their actions. And aren't we very easily repulsed by sinful actions? I have to admit that I am. I mean, there are times when I'm watching or reading the news and reading of some vicious crime or some wicked act and you know just even some of the things you're watching shows like American Greed you know and you're watching through and 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 they're 
like they're inventing evil. Like uh, in, a, in, a, in a part of my life before I was saved, you know, I thought a lot about evil. But after I got saved, I'm not really thinking about inventing evil things anymore or figuring out ways to rip people off or, or taking advantage of people and, and watching, you know, even some of these dramas, you know, some of these, these television dramas, police shows, there'll be a show that, that may come on and I'm like, you know, I don't want to watch that. There's that, that law and order that's all about sex crimes. I can't watch it. It just makes me sick to my stomach. And I know it's dramatized. It's just a show. But it makes me literally sick to my stomach to see the creation of evil. And I, I totally get that it's a television show. And these are just actors. I mean, I, I fully understand the reality of the situation. But I just can't take it. I just don't want to watch it. I don't want to know about that stuff. I don't want to know how people are victimized. I don't want to see how it's, it's investigated. I don't want to know about it. Because it breaks my heart. It happens every day while we might see a drama on television. This kind of stuff happens right in our neighborhoods, right in our cities, in our state, around the world. People victimize evil being perpetrated, and, and it's, we're, just, we're just trained to see actions. And, and I don't know that that's always sinful, but if it leads us to the place of Jonah, where now only certain people will receive the gospel. And only certain behaviors are, in our minds, worthy to receive the gospel. And now that certain behaviors are, are, are rising up in our country and we're just so repulsed by it, well, like, if we don't share the gospel with them, who will? You know, be careful when you start turning your back on certain kinds of sins and certain kinds of sinners. Because you can expect, man, there's a fish waiting for you in the reservoir, maybe even in your own bathtub. Who knows how God's gonna make sure. But he's not gonna allow his believers just to write off a sinful world. Aren't you glad you weren't written off? What were you involved in? What do we have to have revealed in our own hearts? Maybe we don't remember how bad it was. Maybe you don't remember. Maybe it was just in your mind and you were just a wicked person in your mind. Maybe you've forgotten what God delivered you from. Aren't you glad they didn't stop praying for you? Aren't you glad that someone didn't stop coming to your door or didn't stop giving you that gift? Or, I mean, seriously, we don't want to become like Jonah, but these guys were wicked. And so on one level, I can understand Jonah. But on a whole different level, I don't want to understand Jonah. I don't want to relate to him. I don't want the church to become so insular and, and we're not reaching the lost and we're not integrating in the world and we're not truly exhibiting true love, that, like love of God, not just like our effort, like I'm going to love, you know, so today you might leave here and go, okay, Ed talked about love. All right, I'm going to be the most loving person you can tell. It's not going to happen. It's the love of God that's in us that will come through us. It's not you working it up, you convincing yourself, getting up in the morning and looking in the mirror. You will be a very loving, I love you. And then the mirror says back, I love you. And you're like, well, this is a great love relationship. It's not going to be that way. Would you turn over to Matthew chapter 5 in our closing moments together? Matthew chapter 5. And I do believe it's, it's important for us to recognize that while, while Jonah didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of him, he, he did have a relationship with God. And he did know the ways of God. And here today, as we follow along our Savior, Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all that Jonah was waiting for, all that he believed in, notice in Matthew chapter 5 what Jesus says. It's very instructive for us. Pick up in verse 43. Matthew 5 
verse 43. Now, I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation first, okay? You have heard that the law of Moses says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Didn't you rec- Isn't that something that you witnessed today? Driving in, pouring down rain. Was it just on your car? Or on your lawn? You know, was it just raining on your lawn and the unbeliever that lives down the street didn't get no rain? No, it came on the whole neighborhood. It was on all the cars. It was on our parking lot and at Safeway. Like the rain came on the just and the unjust. It wasn't just you that has the benefits of rain, or it wasn't just the unjust that has to deal with. It's on all of us. I love the illustrations of Jesus because when he shares illustrations, they're universal thousands of years later. That immediately, that even today, having known that this would be the text, I mean, I didn't put in my little notes, and by the way, it will rain right before service, so Ed, make sure you mention the rain that was right before service. It's not. God loves you. He wants you to, ta- he wants you to taste and see that he is good. He wants you to see illustration after illustration of his faithfulness. And so what did he give you? He gave you the gift of rain just before you came to Bible study so that in a few moments after you walk into the building and you raise your hands in in adoration and praise and you take of communion and you come together and pray in groups that a few minutes later we'd be reminded of the illustration that Jesus gave 2,000 years ago about rain and love and enemies and our neighbors. Those of you today that are just really feeling like God's let you down or that you, God God doesn't know you or doesn't remember you or doesn't care about you, it's not true. There's so much going on in the physical realm that is spiritual in nature that if we would just open ourselves to the spiritual realm with spiritual eyes, and begin to allow the Holy Spirit to prepare us and minister to us. I've been in this actual section of the Bible in my devos in Luke in the last week. So I've been chewing and meditating on this. We're in it from Matthew today, but I find that as wherever wherever I am in the Word of God, that's what gets opened up before me in that day. And to me, that's why it's so important that I start my day not on Instagram, not on Twitter, but in God's Word. I need, and I need to train myself even more to be in God's Word in my, in my Bible more than my iPad, which I have all kinds of Bible software on my iPad, because sometimes when I'm on my iPad, a notification will pop up and distract me. But when I'm reading the Bible, no notifications but the Holy Spirit. There's nothing popping up but His Word. And I find that just so, such a confirmation of the presence of God and the affirmation that His Word is true that even, even though you didn't know where we'd be in the text necessarily or what illustrations, that I think I put this study together a couple weeks ago uh, and refreshed it this week, but that I didn't set this text up just because I knew rain was coming right before service today. That God is faithful to continue to remind you of his word and how it comes to pass, and it's true. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust, and it just happened an hour ago. It may be still raining right now. If you love only those who love you, what good is that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. 
And if you're, verse 47, if you're only kind to only your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So the first thing Jesus deals with is false teaching. You have heard it said, go ahead and love your neighbors, but you have permission to hate your enemies. Where's that in the Bible? Nowhere. Because Jesus says, I say to you, it doesn't matter what you've heard. Let me tell you the truth. I say to you, love your enemies. That's the word of the Lord. Love your enemies. The oral law among the Pharisees and the religious rulers of the day began to take precedence over the truth, which is what Jesus came to set things back. Love your enemies. That's the heart of God. To yield yourself to the presence of God in your life and love your enemies. He says to heap blessings upon them. Pray diligently for them. Yield your anger and bitterness in repentance before God so that it doesn't invade your life or take you off course. And again, this is one of the places of the Bible where if we attempt to, uh, to follow through with this in the strength of our own flesh, we'll only meet with failure. But the very least, the easiest one of these to do, the easiest one is to begin praying by name for those that you consider an enemy. To pray for them. And just lift them up. It's very hard to stay angry at someone when you regularly are praying for them. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's very hard. When you're just laying before them and just not even, don't, don't drop some David prayer from the Psalms. Lord, I pray for my enemy, so-and-so. Would you please break their teeth one at a time? You know, there's a, probably a dentist listening in. I don't know how many teeth we have, but, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a 60-day David prayer and pray for every one of the 60 teeth to be broken. Day by day, I prayed for my enemies. No, that, that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is to love. It's never wrong to love. It's never wrong to reach out in love. It's even a value as the Lord heals you to love like you've never been hurt. Open to the work of the Spirit in your life. And sure, it's easier said than done if we attempt in our own strength. But that's the point of Jesus. We need him. We need his heart and his power and his eyes and his compassion. Enemies have a tendency to bring out the worst in us. But God always brings out the best. God brings out the best in us. And he showed us how it was done right on the cross, didn't he? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Well, back in 2 Kings, we'll let the... We'll let the work of the Holy Spirit bring that to life in you this week as you meditate upon it. Perhaps those of you that had a bad day, that's the answer of God to you. Or if you have a bad day tomorrow, or if you've had a bad week or a bad month or a bad few years, love covers a multitude of sins. It's a lubricant, is it not? It's a lubricant of all the friction that we face as we serve among people. And, and haven't you found it to be true? The more people you're around, the more hurt that occurs. And the more people you're around and really the more people you reach out in love, the more you love, the deeper the hurt and the deeper the pain. And so, verse 32, in the second year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. 
His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. However, the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, and he built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. The rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did are they not written in the book of Chronicles, the kings of Judah? In those days, the Lord began to send Rezan, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, against Judah. So Jotham rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. So we finally come to the time of Assyria's invasion. Uh, this is the judgment of God upon a rebellious nation. It's the first of two times. And now we end with Jotham reigning in Judah. He does a lot good, and yet there was little that he didn't do. He's kind of following in the same compromising paths of those before him. Uh, we learn in Second Chronicles, when we study a little more in depth in these kings, that Jotham was able to defeat the Ammonites uh, and gain much territory. He was a strong uh, king politically, but was the last real strong king to be so. And so as we close, I just don't want us to forget in how we tie it all together in our lives today, how things began. Because so often we are emphasizing how things begin. And, and we, we think, well, we started well. And praise God, I think we all started well. Because we were all born again at some point. And so we started the race well. And how do we start in our study in Samuel and all the way on into Kings and now Second Kings? Well, we started with God replacing, allowing the people to choose their own king, King Saul. And then we had young, young David in the book of Samuel waiting patiently on the run. He made his own mistakes as well, but he didn't usurp the authority of King Saul, but waited patiently for God so that he was risen up at the right time. And he was a good godly king failures and all. And then after David died, the next king, his name was Solomon, his son. And we were just speaking about that today, how Solomon, when he lacked wisdom and God came to him and said, just ask whatever you want, that he said, well, you know, I'm young and I don't know how to lead, so I need wisdom. And it was a great request. I mean, imagine if God in your own prayer life, uh, if he came to you and said, ask whatever you want, what really would be your answer? I think in an environment like this, we're all thinking good and thinking well. And, well, you know, I think I'd follow in the footsteps of Solomon. And I won't ask for much. I'll just, I think I'll just ask for wisdom on how to rule my house well. You know, come on now. Like, it depends on where you are and when you ask and what you're wrestling with and what you're dealing with in your heart. But Solomon, at that time, hey, I just, man, you know, whatever you, Lord, give, give me wisdom. Just, and, and God gave him wisdom and riches, and he ruled well, and then he died. And it was after Solomon that Rehoboam and Jeroboam, they split the kingdom. And we've been studying the split kingdom of God ever. Why? Because the devil uses the same exact tactic. He doesn't have many, too many tools that he uses, but he loves to divide. Because in division there is weakness, and in weakness there is destruction. And he's divided People from people from the very beginning, ultimately dividing, starting dividing people from God and then the division of people to this very day. And he loves to divide and conquer. And so don't forget, it start, he started well. Things started well. You know, not so much with King Saul as much as it was allowed by God, but really with David and Solomon ruling as unto the Lord. And I, 
I can't help but remind us and reminding myself of the price of compromise. There is a price to compromise. It doesn't matter how you've lined it up and it doesn't matter how you figured it out and it doesn't matter how you've justified it. I don't know about you, but believers in Jesus Christ rank up they're not, I'm not going to say that they are the best at it, but they are some of the best on the planet earth of justifying and explaining away sinful behavior. There's just so, you know, you, you confront someone on something, well, you know, uh, you know, it could be something dumb like, well, you know, the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do anything. The devil didn't make you do anything. Or, well, you know, brother, uh, who are you to judge me? All right, you know, okay, so I'm just just opening the Bible to you and telling you something, and so now I'm judging you. So basically what you're going to do is not listen to what the Bible says and keep doing what you're doing. And I know there's a heaviness. I can feel it right now. There's a heaviness in this room. Things have changed right away because we have to examine ourselves. Are we one of those excuse makers, justifiers, thinking that, compromise won't end with generations of and they did evil in the sight of the Lord did evil in the sight of the Lord did evil in the sight of the Lord or they did what was right in the sight of the Lord except or however when God is really calling us to himself to humbly abide and obey I don't want to be good at making excuses As it's been said by someone, if you get good at making excuses, that's all you'll be good for. Imagine that. And that's what, when we're raising our kids, that's what we're trying to raise our kids to understand. Don't make excuses. Just own it and repent. Let's learn from it. Compromise in the Christian's life never leads to good. Truly compromise only breeds more compromise. I'm not speaking about that kind of compromise in relationships and such where we meet each other in the middle. That's not. So, so be careful with that word because there are times when we both give in and, and we both give in for a solution. I'm speaking about spiritual compromise as it relates to the clear teachings of the Bible and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So you can understand how compromise doesn't just creep in. It just doesn't show up. It's not just, you know, something hidden in a closet. It begins by leaving the Word of God. It it begins by just not wanting God's Word in our lives. It just begins by hearing and not doing. It begins by becoming dull to the truth. It begins by feeding ourselves and feeding our flesh. It begins in so many different ways because life is filled with decisions, but basically there's only two. Life's filled with all kinds of decisions, but spiritually there's only two decisions. Will I obey or disobey what God has revealed to me? Will I abide or will I act in the flesh? Will I rely upon God or will I rely upon myself and my own understanding and me figuring things out? Will I choose to do the right thing or will I choose to do the wrong thing? And we see this in the life of Lot. Lot was given the choice by Abraham very graciously when Lot should have been yielding to Abraham, to Abram. But Abram in his graciousness trusted God with the decision and Lot chose the bright lights of the sinful city. And those of you that know in Genesis chapter 13, Sodom and Gomorrah were corrupt to the core. And given the choice, I I want Sodom and Gomorrah. And it wrecked his family, it wrecked his life, wrecked his family, wrecked everything. That one decision, 
Lord, whatever you want. Abram, what do you want? Why don't we just get along? Why don't we just make a pact to get along and lead? But instead, he chooses. Now, if you're taking notes, we're not going to go into it. But in Genesis 13, verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes. In verse 11, Lot chose for himself. And later on in chapter 19, Lot is sitting at the gates of Sodom. In chapter 19, verse 8, Lot now is offering his daughters. He's offering his daughters for sexual pleasures to these strangers that come to town. And in in the graciousness of Abram, as he offers Lot to make a decision, just think of Abram being a type of the Lord where he's offering decisions to us all the time. And the gracious decisions, you know what, Lord, what do you have for me? You tell me what to do, and I'll do what you tell me to do. You know, one of the one of the phrases that's real popular in Christian circles when somebody doesn't want to do something. It's not universal, so just consider it. But, you know, when someone's asked to do something, hey, you know, why don't you, um, you know, like, hey, it's just don't divorce your wife. Why don't you just pray and wait for God to work? And the answer would be something like, well, I'll pray about it. That's code word for, are you kidding me? I'm out of here. I was out of here already paperwork's on the on the desk but when it's in a spiritual environment it's easy to say well i'll pray about it Uh, again there are times when you will earnestly pray about it and i appreciate that but i've found far more often that the response of when it's a clear sinful decision like it's just not even my opinion so you're not even asking my opinion you're just like should i do this should I go rob the bank? Because, you know, we're really struggling right now. And uh, finances, we don't, should, I, should I go rob the bank? No, you know what? Don't steal. The Bible says, thou shalt not steal. So I, I just think, okay, pastor, I'll pray about it. I use an exaggerated illustration to get your attention because perhaps that phrase has just been a covering so that you still appear to be spiritual but in your heart, you've already made up your mind. Listen, you don't have to make your marriage work. You don't have to figure out your spouse. You simply go to the one who created your spouse and abide carefully in him, watching God do a work that only he can do. And you look at every area of life when we choose compromise, it's not gonna lead to where you really wanna go spiritually. It's not gonna lead there. Compromise will not lead you to holiness or righteousness. Compromise will not lead you to obedience. Sin always brings forth death, always. Let me remind you of a story that I really like. It's a legend, a legend of a girl that was walking through the woods and almost stepped on a snake. Instinctively, she pulls back in horror, but to her amazement, the snake started talking to her and said, I'm so glad you came along. I'm cold and I need a friend. Pick me up, put me under your coat so I can get warm, and you'll be my friend, won't you? In fear, the girl replied, I can't possibly do that. You're a rattlesnake. You'll bite me. I can't pick you up. Oh no, the snake said, I promise you, I won't bite you. I really want to be your friend. After all, aren't I a creature of God just like you? I'm so cold. Please pick me up. Then she began to think about it and feel sorry for the snake. 
And she sat down to think it over. And as she looked at the creature of God, it began to look beautiful. Previously, she hadn't noticed its many colors. She admired its graceful lines and movement. And gradually, it began to look harmless. She thought, well, he's right. He is a beautiful creature of God. And just because most rattlesnakes bite doesn't mean this one will. Seems like a nice snake. And shouldn't I be willing to be a friend to someone that asked me? Someone who needs me? Oh, yes, she said to the snake. I'll be your friend. And she picked up the snake, putting it under her warm coat. And immediately, the snake bit her. And the pain and poison shot through her body. And the little girl cries out, Why did you bite me? You promised you would be my friend. And as the rattlesnake wiggled away, turned around with a smirk on its face and said, You knew what I was when you picked me up. And isn't that the case with sin? We know what it is when we pick it up. But we sit there and we reason and we look and we figure things out and we rationalize and we make excuses. Well, it's not that bad. No, it could be that bad. The wages of sin will always be death for you and for me. May the Lord help us that the pattern of our lives are not like some of these kings that now Jotham, even though he's doing well, still allowed this false worship in the high places to worship anywhere they want. And these kings of, of Israel just sinning and doing evil in the sight of the Lord, it goes all the way back to Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And it just gets worse with these succeeding generations. So Father, we're just asking for you to help us, God, to make the right decisions in our lives, to live lives that please you and honor you in every way. That, God, you would be to us a strength and a power, that you would make yourself manifest even in this place today. That as we are here today, God, that you would speak and it would be clearly evident in all that you want to accomplish in us. And we just openly acknowledge to you for those that need to, those on the radio or on the live stream right now, that that we have sinned. And like Nehemiah and like Daniel, we collectively ask for the forgiveness of our sins as a church, family, as the broader body of Christ, Lord. That you would forgive us for being caught up in things that we shouldn't be caught up in. That we're becoming involved in the affairs of this earth over and above the affairs of the kingdom of God. That, that things are capturing our attention. And, and there we are sitting there just rationalizing the snake. <laughs> and I speak to, I pray God specifically for the person that that's exactly what they're doing. That this is no mere story. This is their life. And you have loved them so much that you want to speak to them directly today of the reality of where they are and call them away from the tempting viper and uh, who cares how good it looks and how well it's wrapped up it always sin always bites us god would you yield would you protect us and guard us from such things in jesus name amen We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. 
That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.